Let's pray before and get into God's word together. Gracious Father, we are uh, wanting now to come before you and um, have ears to hear and hearts to welcome uh, what you would say to us this morning. So please um, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a question that will sound silly, but bear with me. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you would rather be smart than stupid? (laughs) How many of you would rather be wise than foolish? Some of you aren't raising your hands, and it's really kind of troubling me. (laughs) Say, what's the catch? There's no catch, okay? Um, If you want, if you would rather be wise than foolish, you're in good company. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 says this, Blessed, happy, is the one who finds wisdom. Note that. Wisdom is something that you have to find. And the one who gets understanding. It's something you have to get. Apparently, wisdom isn't automatic. We might have guessed that from looking around in our world. It's not automatic. Verse 14, For the gain from her, the gain from wisdom is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I think just about everybody would agree that wisdom is a good thing. Um, Being wise, that is, knowing the right thing to do in a given situation, I mean, who wouldn't want that? But apparently, you don't get wisdom just for wanting it. It doesn't come easily. Proverbs 2.4 says, it tells us to seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. You have to pursue it. You've got to find it. And what makes this pursuit especially challenging, is that in our world, there are very different, drastically different opinions about what constitutes true wisdom. And so you have to make a choice which wisdom you're going to go with. We are working our way through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in Jesus, a church, a lot like us. And um, the church in Corinth was really into wisdom. That was a highly prized commodity. That's something that they really were enamored with in their Greek culture, the, the idea of wisdom and what is it and pursuing that. The problem is that the wisdom that they were so impressed with in their culture and and trying to blend, blend that wisdom with the message of Jesus, um, the problem is the wisdom they were so excited about was actually contrary to 
the message of Jesus. They were muddying up the gospel by trying to blend this particular kind of wisdom with the message of Christ. So Paul is writing, particularly here in the early going in 1 Corinthians, to to clear up their confusion. And so if you... If you are a follower of Christ who wants to be wise, um, you're going to want to understand what he is saying here. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6, and Paul has just been speaking very critically of the wisdom that they have been excited about. And then he says this in verse 6, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So this this gift of God, the gospel, the truth, uh, His wisdom, He's given us His Spirit that we may understand. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So Paul is saying that the wisdom that he teaches, the wisdom he proclaims, he and the other apostles, the other messengers appointed by Christ to take his message to the world, that that wisdom is different from and is not the wisdom of this age. What's the wisdom of this age? Well, that's what you get when you try to answer life's biggest questions while leaving God out of the equation. So life's big questions, you know, the questions of identity. Who am I? Why am I here? What what is my purpose? How am I to live life? Those big questions, if you intentionally leave God out of the equation, then what you arrive at is the wisdom of this age. And when you do that, when you do that, the answers you come up with to life's big questions are going to be in conflict with the gospel, the good news about Jesus, his wisdom, Because the gospel is a message that nobody would have dreamed up on their own. It wasn't going to happen. And we've seen this before. We've talked about this before. How the message of the gospel, 
a crucified Messiah seems utterly ridiculous to this world. Yeah, you think about it. It is deeply offensive. It is deeply offensive to be told that the only way you could be right with God is for the Son of God to die for you, to die in your place. Of course, if you believe it, it's utterly glorious to realize that the Son of God wanted to die for you to make you right with God. But the point is, the answers that the gospel gives to life's big questions and the answers of the wisdom of this age are very different. And these two different sets of answers are going to lead to two very different ways of living, depending on which set of answers you choose to live by. Now, previously, talked about why you would want to go with God's wisdom as opposed to the wisdom of this world. I was in a previous message. This time, we're going to look at a different question, and that question is this. If you want to rely on God's wisdom, if you want to follow Christ and his wisdom, where do you find that wisdom? If you want to hear from God, if you want to listen to his voice, where do you hear it? Because you're not going to find it in pop culture. You're not going to encounter it on social media or in the world's entertainment, popular entertainment. You're going to have to look elsewhere. Remember, wisdom is something to seek. It's something to pursue. Where do you go to pursue the wisdom of Christ? Okay, look again at verses 12 and 13. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us, His truth, His wisdom. And this is what we speak, says Paul. We, Himself, and the other messengers that Christ appointed, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words. There it is. There it is. The wisdom we need. The wisdom we need to follow Jesus. The wisdom of God is contained in words taught by the Spirit of God. So the words that were spoken, the words that were written down for us, by Christ and his messengers and preserved for us in our Bibles, these words are not mere human words of worldly wisdom. Now, they are human words, but they're not merely human. They are spirit-taught. They are spirit-inspired. And it's in those spirit taught words that we hear our Savior's voice and encounter His wisdom. 
Now, I, I want to spend some time unpacking this by actually going to another passage in Hebrews chapter 1, the first part of the book, Hebrews 1, which says more about this. And I want to tell you why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I'm concerned. I'm concerned because I am seeing more and more examples of Christians, okay? People who profess to be followers of Jesus. More and more examples of Christians making huge, life-impacting decisions based not on what Scripture teaches, but based on what they feel is right or what the culture says is right. Now, why would anyone do that if they're a professing follower of Jesus? Why would anybody go with, with what they feel is right or what the culture says is right rather than what Scripture teaches? Well, let's be honest. It's easier. It's just easier. It's fairly easy to go with what you feel, with what feels, you know, what comes naturally to you. That's easy. It's harder to go against that. Um, it's fairly easy to go along with the culture. That's what's popular. That's what gets affirmed. I mean, it's the atmosphere we live in. We can just breathe it in, the wisdom of this age, and not even notice it. It's kind of like a fish in the water. Fish in the water doesn't complain about being wet. He doesn't even know what wet is. That's just life. It's his environment. And so we can just, we can breathe in the wisdom of this age and, and really not notice it. It just seems normal to us. But to instead intentionally seek out Christ's wisdom through the Spirit-taught words of Scripture, well, that takes effort. That, that doesn't just come naturally. I mean, that takes careful reading, careful reading, careful thinking, prayer. And then, then there's this, you know, once you discover, once you discover what Christ's answer really is to some big question you're facing, you might not like it. Now, why would you do that? Why would you go and do the hard work of learning what the Bible actually teaches about something if you're not convinced it's actually Jesus speaking to you and guiding you in the way that is best. Well, you wouldn't, and that's the point. And if statistics are accurate, a lot of Christians don't. Now, if you ask them, if you said, you know, do you want to follow Christ? Do you want to know his wisdom? Do you want to pursue his wisdom? Of course they're going to say yes. We all would say yes. Of course. Of course they want God to speak to them. They just want him to speak to them in a different way. And when I say that, I'm including me. I'm very familiar with this desire that God would speak to me differently. I've, I have at times gotten very frustrated 
that, that I didn't know more of God, more of his will than I do. And it is very easy in those moments to blame my ignorance on him and say, yeah, maybe you can relate to this. Have you ever said in a tone of exasperation, God, if you'd only speak to me, if you'd only speak to me, if you'd just talk to me, I wouldn't have to wonder what it is you want me to do. God, why don't you say something? Okay, read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Or follow along as I read it. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What's it saying? It's saying God has spoken. God has spoken. And he has spoken repeatedly. It says it many times in many ways. And in days past, his usual method was to call a prophet and then inspire that prophet to speak and to write his message. What he wanted said. But now he's done far more than that. That's how he spoke in the past. But now it says he has spoken by his son. Now, most of you have probably heard that. I think most of you in this room would probably agree with that. But I wonder, I wonder if today you feel what an amazing claim that is. God has spoken by his son. You know, if you really believe that, if you really believe that, if you remember that, then you're going to want to know what he has said. You're going to want to seek the wisdom of what he has said, and you are going to want to rely on it. Now, let me show you why. Okay? I want to show you why God speaking by his son ought to motivate you, ought to motivate me to listen to listen to him, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's hard, even if it's unpopular. Why God speaking by his son ought to motivate us to listen to him, okay? Give you some reasons. By speaking through his son, first of all, God has spoken much more personally. Personally. So it says... In times past, God spoke to the fathers, through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken by his son. Okay, so there's this contrast between a prophet and the son. Now, a prophet is a messenger, but a son is an equal. Jesus is not simply a greater prophet than Moses or Elijah or Daniel. 
Okay, the difference is not one of degree, it's one of kind. This is a different kind of communication. You know, Moses and Elijah and all the rest of them, they were mere people. Now, they were inspired people, but they were still just people. They spoke with God's authority, but they were only human. Not Jesus. Okay? Jesus is no mere human. Yes, he became fully human in Mary's womb, but he has always been and will always be God. Now we see this here at the end of verse 2, where it says that through the Son, God created the world. Well, no mere human can do that. And then even more explicitly, we see it in verse 3. He is the radiance, the radiance of the glory of God. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. And so the point to grasp here is that in speaking to us through his son, God has come to us personally. You know, one day Jesus was with his disciples and one of them said, it's so funny what they said sometimes. It just, one of them said, you know, Lord, if you just show us the Father, that would be enough. Oh, that's all. Just show us God and, you know, we'll be cool with that. Just show us God. Would, would you just show us Jesus? Would you just show us God? Doesn't that sound like my complaint earlier? God, would you just speak to me? Jesus' answer is breathtaking. He said, don't you know me? Even after I have been among you, even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I've said this before, but I think those of us who spent a lot of time in churches, a lot of time reading our Bibles over the years, and you know, we, we can forget how utterly outrageous and amazing you know, these things that Jesus says are. Because you know, we're used to hearing it. This is what he's saying. Anybody who's seen me has seen the Father. Hey guys, you want to see God? Look at me. You want to hear God's voice? Listen to me. Wow. So when we read about Jesus in Scripture, when we read what he did and what he said as recorded by those who knew him personally and then wrote his portrait, so to speak, into the pages of the Bible with these spirit-taught words, we not only hear God's voice, we actually, in effect, see his face. We see, we get a much clearer picture of who he really is because he spoke to us by his son. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Read that again. 
to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, by his son, God has spoken very personally. Second, God has spoken unmistakably. Unmistakably. And what I mean by that is the message that God has given us through his son is clear and it's compelling. Now, why do I say that? Notice what it says in verse 2. God appointed Jesus the heir of all things. What does that mean? Well, that term heir, that's a word associated with Messiah, that is, God's chosen king to rule over his kingdom. And we see this in Psalm 2. This is where the king says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. There it is. It's going to be the heir. The ends of the earth, your possession. So this is, this is a psalm celebrating the rule of the king, the chosen king, okay, who's going to rule over God's kingdom. Now that is a foreshadowing in Scripture of this ultimate king who will ultimately rule. When Hebrews says that God appointed Jesus to be the heir of all things, it means he's the one. He's, God sent him to earth as a man in order to fulfill this role of the king who will sit on the throne of David and fulfill those promises. And you say, well, okay, how do we know Jesus is the one? How do we know he's the guy? Romans 1.4, he was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Acts 17.31, he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The resurrection is the proof. The resurrection is the proof. That's why this is an unmistakable word. Years ago, I, I remember reading a book um, on the O.J. Simpson trial. And if you're young enough that you don't know what that is, it's just a, it was a big, big deal all over the media. Big trial. And uh, this guy who was a former prosecutor for California, he wrote a book about it. It was a very interesting book. But then as we got toward the end of the book, he, he did something I really wasn't anticipating. He launched into a rant about why he doesn't believe that God exists. And then uh, because of all the injustice in the world, which, you know, that's a common complaint. And, and if God does exist, he says, where is he? Well, is he hiding? And he basically complains that God hasn't done enough to make himself known, which is another common complaint. Well, here's the problem. The problem, he complains that God hasn't made himself known while completely ignoring the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See, it's one thing to argue God's existence on philosophical grounds. 
It's quite another thing to explain the history, to explain the empty tomb, to explain the eyewitness accounts, to explain the testimony of numerous credible witnesses who were so convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, that they saw him alive, that they were willing to die rather than deny it. The evidence, the documentary evidence is real and it's early. And to my mind, it's compelling. So by his son, God has spoken an unmistakable word. And then third, God has spoken completely or finally. And that's what it means when it says in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. What's the, what are the last days? Well, he's talking about it's the final, the final period of history. Starting with the coming of Jesus and then one day concluding with his future return when he comes and he makes right every wrong. Now, you might be concerned that these last days have gone on for a long time. Okay, but how long they last isn't the point. That's not what makes them the last days. It's not how long they last. John Piper explains it this way. I think he's right. He says, the last days of a war are, the, are after the decisive battle has been fought. Everyone knows who will win. It's only a matter of time. The resistance may go on for quite a while, but the mortal blow has been struck to the enemy and the high ground has been captured. So it is since the Son of God came into the world. In his death and resurrection, the decisive battle with sin and death and hell has been fought and won. It is now a matter of time. These are the last days bringing the news of his decisive triumph to all the peoples of the world. And so here's the point. The word which God has spoken about this decisive triumph, this decisive victory, that is his decisive word. There is no greater word coming. There is no different word coming. There is no fuller word coming. It has been spoken. The final message which God has to say to this world he has said it's wrapped up in the person and the work and the words and the message of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul, or Peter was saying when he said this. God has given us everything we need. Don't miss those words. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's spoken personally, he's spoken unmistakably, and he has spoken completely, or finally, if you like that word. Now, take that, and let's go back to my complaint. When I say, God, if you would only talk to me, with my Bible sitting a foot away from me, God, if you'd only talk to me. 
and I get frustrated that he doesn't speak in other ways that I wish he would, what am I really saying? What am I saying? I mean, have I truly exhausted the word he spoke through the prophets? Have, have I heard everything he wants to say to me through his much fuller word that he spoke through his son? I mean, have I truly read it and studied it and considered it and meditated it, meditated on it to the point that it actually directs how I live? And I've got nothing left to learn here? Hey, God, I'm all done with this. Need something new. Really? Is, I mean, is that what I'm saying? Do I really need to hear another word? Or do I simply need to listen more deeply to the word he has already spoken? And the word that he brings to life through his spirit? Or have I simply gotten bored like a child with a short attention span? If I'm honest, if I'm honest, what I really need is not for God to speak a new word to me, but to actually humbly sit at his feet, open his book, and ask him to speak his spirit-taught words into my heart. God has spoken. The question is, are we listening? Let me ask you to pray with me. I just ask you to consider a couple of questions. And, and the first question is, do you want your life to be marked by the wisdom of Christ as opposed to the wisdom of this age? And if so, do you know where to find that wisdom and are you pursuing that wisdom? Or are you content to simply default to what seems right, what feels right, what's consistent with the culture we live in? And if it is Christ's wisdom you want to follow, then I would just challenge you, even as I challenge myself, to not seek for a new word, to not complain that God hasn't spoken, but instead to realize He has, and to humbly sit with His book open and say, Lord, 
Speak your spirit-taught words to my heart. Gracious Father, it is um, so typical of, of me and I'm sure many others um, to want the easier path. But will you help us choose the good path even if it's not easy? And will you help us be willing to do the work to seek your wisdom and to find it, to treasure it more than gold and silver, more than earthly riches, more than other things that we might value. May we truly want to be wise according to your wisdom, your definition of wisdom. So we pray that you would make our hearts receptive and, and help us be willing to hear you. May we listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.